little bit about in So what do you guys think when you talk about NLP for and hypnosis for psychic development, intuition? Uh, what I'm always thinking of is uh, back, God, it was in the 90s. I took a class on uh, remote viewing when that was big. And, uh, you know, it came out of the military. And when you really get the research, of course, what happens is the idea of it gets out, as we were talking earlier about the internet marketer guys kind of get in touch with it. And suddenly it's bizarre, you know, uh, like there was one guy and he was from the military, but he, he would, when he would do a training, this is back in the nineties, right? Early to early after the turn of the century. He would say, you know, he'd come to the room with a trainer. He'd always have two big guys with the mirrored sunglasses, you know, the suits, and they'd be like, they had something in their ear and they'd be standing there, you know, because people don't want me to, you know, teach this and government's trying to shut it down. And, you know, these two guys, he was uh, something in the army, uh, some kind of officer. And he was associated with the program, but he ended up being a good marketer. Anyway, going back, you know, say like these two guys, one's an ex-Navy SEAL and one's an ex-like uh, uh, army ranger or something. And, you know, they're here to do that. And I'm thinking, and somebody finally said, I got a question. Yeah. If that was truly a Navy SEAL, that was truly an Army Ranger. If, if they knew that the true government wanted you killed, they would not be protecting you. <laughs> you know, uh, because you're, yeah, it, but it was, it was good theater. It was good marketing theater, right? But anyway, when we got into remote viewing, what was kind of cool, and it comes out of the uh, Stargate project, which morphed into the Jedi project for the military. And this was in the late 70s, uh, going into the early 80s, where they, because they, we heard the Russians were doing it. Of course, the Russians are doing it. We're going to do it. And so they were trying to figure out, you know, how can we do this? And so they started the Stargate program and then started the uh, uh, Jedi project which is run by Colonel John Alexander, United States Army, uh, Special Forces, and he really got into this stuff. And so they started looking at like ways you could make, and it's all about making better warriors. That's really all it's about. Let's make a better warrior. And so, you know, they were studying this and studying that. And there's two stories to tell here. One is, and it's, they don't talk about it anymore, but it was a cool story where Tony Robbins used to talk about it a lot, um, where they took the best pistol shooters in the United States Army. It was a colonel and two sergeants. And that's all they did was shoot pistols. That, that was their job, um, competition team. And so they went to study them because NLP, you know, they approached some NLP trainers and they said, well, we can, you know, if you tell us the skill you want and we find people that know how to do it, will give you a better protocol to teach it. So anyway, they decided to use pistol shooting because, you know, they've been doing that forever in the army and the army training was seven days. Uh, they shoot around 750 rounds of ammunition. Uh, only about half qualified on the first round and 15 or 20% would shoot expert. So they had their metrics. So they went to study these guys, right? And, and again, time is money. So that's what they're looking at. And so they got those three guys, the colonel and two sergeants, and then a couple other the competition teams. And they were looking for anything that they could duplicate. And one of the first things they found uh, 
was there was no similarities between some of the rituals the guy would do, how they'd hold the weapon, what they do. The only physical one that they found was they could control their breathing and they speculated, now it would be easy to do, but back then it would have been a little bit harder, that that would control your, your blood pressure and your heart rate so your hand won't shake when you're, when you're holding the weapon. Great. So it's easy to teach people breathing techniques, right? So there was no physical thing that they could really do. They could work on the stance, but you know, it was all slightly different. There was no thing that seemed to make the difference. But then they started looking at beliefs and attitudes. And what they found were those top three people and a couple of the other really good shooters all had the same belief sets. One is they never fired the weapon. They released the bullet to go down range. They also all had the thought that the bullet really wants to hit the target. If I do my job right, the bullet will hit the target, right? And that it's natural and normal to shoot a, a handgun, that it's easy to do. In fact, you couldn't understand why other people can't do it, you know? And it's a skill, once you learn it, 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 it stays. Even if you don't get to practice a lot, you should be able to pick it back up and do it quite well. Kind of like, as one guy said, kind of like riding a bike, you know? I'm like, okay. So then when they decided to, to, to do the training, they brought in, I think it was 12 or 15 people. And the only thing that they asked was um, that the people there had no real experience shooting a handgun. Right, they're they're in the army, obviously, with an army training, but you know they didn't be they hadn't been around it, right? So they had no beliefs really. They were tabula rusa. They really had no beliefs either way, and so they brought them in and they started the training. Well, and the one thing they did is they suggested uh, not spending the whole first day teaching all the intricacies of the handgun you'd be using, the 45 caliber at the time, right? They, you could add that on later and actually had nothing to do with shooting the weapon, right? It was a different skill set. So that cut one day off, right? So I found that out later. Um, but still you're talking four days, it would take four days, right? Uh, and so they brought the soldiers in. It was mostly men, but there were a couple of women, uh, mostly enlisted, a couple of officers. But they started the training with the with the concept of them telling the group, ladies and gentlemen, this course is impossible to fail. In fact, most of you will do well. Everyone in this room should qualify easily. And in fact, uh, most of you are gonna shoot experts. And once you learn this skill, it'll stay with you, whether you get to shoot a lot or not, it'll be a natural, normal skill. And they kept hammering that in, right? Now, if you've ever been around a military training, um, that is not usually how they approach the people that they're training, right? They're yelling at them, telling them how hard it is, how many people are gonna wash out, yada, yada, yada. So this was different. They kept stressing that the course impossible failed. It's, it's an easy skill. You're gonna do good, da, 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 da. And then they did teach them the breathing technique, right? And about allowing the bullet to go down range, see it hit the bullet. And that's the other thing, all the guys uh, that were good shooters imagined right before they'd start the thing that the bullet's hitting the target, right? Great. And so then after doing that, uh, anyway, the training was cut down to a day and a half. They shot around 250 rounds of ammunition. They all qualified and over half qualified as expert. And then on a follow-up, I think it was 90 days, according to Colonel Alexander, that everyone maintained the skill set, even those that really didn't get to practice shooting a handgun, right? 
so it was interesting. The Army really didn't do anything with that training because they figured it would be too hard to retrain all the training NCOs, right? The, the trainers, the, the sergeants that do the training. And, but they put it away. They put the idea away. And so Colonel Alexander said, well, this is interesting. It's a lot about the mindset, right? So then they were going to duplicate psychic development and the develop the, the skill they decided to do, excuse my nose, just, was uh, um, remote viewing, right? Where you could see a target, right? But actually you don't go see the target, you channel the target, right? You're not, you're not going there and seeing, you're not teleporting or going out of your body. It's not, it's not that, it's that you kind of become a download and the information comes to you. Great. So they started the protocol. They started trying, they found some people that could do it and some psychics and they studied some psychics. And again, they thought they, the mindset was the idea of it's natural, it's normal, it's easy. The skill is there, right? And so, you know, it, it took a little while, but they, they handed it down. And so then what they decided, they found that the best people they could train were ones that didn't think they were psychic going into the training. In fact, if you showed up trying to apply for the training and you told people you were already psychic, you were excluded from the training, right? In fact, they'd rather have a skeptic, right? And so it ended up most of the people they trained were somehow associated with special operations, which is a different mindset, right? And then um, they went through the protocol, which is, again, you kind of make yourself you open yourself up, you just download information into your neurology, into your into your body itself. And then the whole most of the process is taking it from the information that was downloaded that there's no words for and putting it on paper. Great, right? And what they found was the people that did the best, again, adapted the skills that it was natural, it was normal, it was easy, and also they found that the thing that they had to really work on was keeping the, the participants from using their imagination. Just get the information and just put it out there. Don't let your imagination jump in. In other words, if you're visiting, you're trying to find a site, and again, this is the military, and you see big and dark and hard, so, oh, it's a building, if you use your imagination. Well, what if it was a ship? Uh, uh, you know, like a bat, um, there's no battleships anymore, but, uh, you know, a big Navy ship, a cruiser, an aircraft carrier, they're big, they're, they look like they're, it's like huge, it's 10 stories high, but, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a building, it's a ship, if you've ever seen one up close, they're huge, right, and so, so they found that people that, um, and that they could keep their ego out of it, and one of the ways they kept their ego out of it, they put people in small teams, like, maybe like six people, and the person would come in, give them a target, and there was a protocol to give them the target. And then everyone would do their own work. They didn't collaborate because they found collaboration screwed everything up. The dominant personality would take over, or the others would, would you know, even in the special ops thing where there's a lot of alphas, they would, it just never worked. So everybody do their own work and say there's six people on a team, everybody submit their findings. The next day, they would come in and say, Congratulations, you know, bravo team, you got the target. Now there was, we don't know which one of us, if there were six of us, we don't know which one of us got the target. 
But the fact is we got the target, right? Great. But what they were waiting to hear is if any one of those people wanted to know which one of us got the target, they, were, they would be excluded from the, the, the further training because they would, they, they said, then your ego is getting involved, you know? And again, they, they did quite well with that because they were special operations people, which really just focused on mission. You know, we just got to get the mission done. Doesn't matter which one of us completes the mission as long as the mission get, gets completed. We all just do our part. You know, every, it's, there, there are no freaking Rambos out there, right? So, you know, everybody does their job, we can complete the mission. So that's kind of that story, right? And, but what they found, the people that got into it, was even when they shut the, the, the and they were getting quite good responses with it. Um, when they shut the mission, when they shut that part of the program down, or did they, as they would say, but when they shut it down, uh, all the people found that the side effect from doing the training, because again, these were people that didn't really believe that they had psychic abilities. They, they just, they, they just didn't. They all talked about how their intuition went through the roof, right? Because as you connect to your higher self, that's part of the process and let that information download. They use the analogy of it's like opening up. Now we would say high speed internet. There was no high speed internet then, but it would be like, so the channels open. And unfortunately, they didn't know how to shut it off, right? So they get intuitions all the time, you know? Uh, and it drove some of them kind of, you know, because they didn't, it was a side effect of the training. It just made everybody much more intuitive. And then um, the other side of it that's pretty cool, when people ask, well, why'd they shut it down if it was successful? Well, again, this was the late 70s, early 80s. We just started putting satellites in space that could literally take a picture of a pack of cigarettes from 400 miles in space, right? And I think it was by 84 or five, uh, we had enough satellites uh, in orbit that there wasn't one place on the, on the planet that we couldn't take pictures of within a few hours, right? So why would you have a bunch of guys in a room looking for something when we, you know, uh, in fact, the last thing they kept them doing was trying to, wasn't to exactly find a target, uh, was to narrow it down. And then the other side effect they found, the bad part about doing remote viewing to find people, is people are fluid. They change. They move. It was very good to find static targets, right? But things are always moving, you know? Um, and so from a military application, if you're trying to find a ship, well, the ship's going 20 knots underwater, you know, if you're trying to find Red October, if it's, if it's moving 20 knots, I find it right now, by the time I report it, you know, it's been four hours, you know, it's, it's 100 miles away, give or take, right? So it's kind of interesting and they can shift and they can change. Same with people trying to find a person, they can constantly change locations. Right. So just something to think about. And then one of the remote viewers swears that they kept posting that they knew right where Osama was going back to Osama, bin Laden. Um, and that's where they ended up finding him. And now we find out he hadn't moved very much in several years. You know, there was a threat. He moved to the caves, then, but he always came back to the same location. Anyway, it's just kind of interesting. 
So when I tie that into NLP and hypnosis for psychic development, uh, maybe it's not about the skills as much as it is the attitude, the beliefs, and developing a protocol that you can use, right? And and then going it from that viewpoint, you know. And then what do you want to do with it? Uh, and again, they also found that the the guys are, and ladies, there were a lot of ladies, several ladies in the program, that if they had a vested interest in the target, it didn't work as well. It was better for just like, I need to find this, right? And yeah, it's if that makes any sense. So anyway, that's all I wanted to talk about. I'm not, we're not going to actually do anything right now. Maybe I'll put a, put a thing together later on if people are interested, but we can, we can share ideas because we got 30 minutes, uh, share ideas and feedback on, on, on that kind of stuff. Who would like to start? I will. I love, I didn't know about intuition before. Um, oh, you can see all that behind there. I think you need more shoes. Yeah. My, my, my psychic ability says you're going to yeah. buy shoes this month. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why my little screen didn't come up, but um, I, uh, believe in intuition i didn't before not that i didn't i just didn't know about it i um didn't trust myself and that that's from all those years of abuse decades of abuse and i didn't trust myself i didn't know to listen to my intuition actually i think i was listening to the ego which i didn't know about either it was just the louder voice of the two and so now when i um teach my clients about intuition, I use the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Gene Wilder is in the movie and all the children run into the chocolate factory and they're at the, the chocolate river and Augustus Gloop is drinking all the chocolate out of the river and they're not listening to the the sane voice the voice that's going to get them the whole entire package the whole factory and that voice is don't stop stop it don't don't do it and then augustus gloop is in overdrive and he's gobbling up and then gets sucked up into the into the machine and um like a violet beauregard she you know snatches away something that she shouldn't have and she turns into a purple thing and and this whole time the gene wilder character is going no don't stop put it back we haven't fully tested it you know in a calm rational voice but her mind is like yeah there's candy and uh, the other one who has a once a golden goose and she's jumps up to grab that goose and then falls into the, the garbage pit where fire could be started. And he's going, no, don't stop. And here she's a bad egg. But I use that because as an ex example to teach my clients, because it's that, that voice 
that it's not showy, it's not loud. You know, if you're on a diet and you know there's chips in the house and you're like, oh, I want those chips. And then the other voice goes, no, don't stop. That's the voice you listen to. You listen to the voice that's going to get you to your goal. And your intuition always wants you to get you to your goal. And I, you know, didn't know of these many parts in our mind, you know. Um, I didn't know. And now I teach people about the parts, you know, and the ego and the right. chattering chatters cool. in your head. So I love listening to my intuition. If it tells me to stop and do something, oh, I do it, you know, when I recognize it. Well, it's practice. Uh, it takes practice. Well, yeah, because education, you are an educator. It beats it out of you. <laughs> exactly. What's your empirical <laughs> evidence? Let's test yeah. the hypothesis. Very you true. Know, you know, I mean, not that that's bad. It's just that, you know. That's what we knew. You know, that's it. And that um, was taught to us as educators so we could sort of, you know, control 24, six-year-olds. So it's not chaotic in the classroom, you know, and, but it's, we also had time. Our principal was pretty much like that, beat that out of them. But then the teachers of joy, like, like me, they, we were like, okay, children, you know, we'll do this, but keep it down. <laughs> oh, shh, don't share your gifts, quiet. <laughs> but um, so we don't get in trouble by the mean principal. But it it is true. That's that's what we had to do. And because we didn't know what we didn't know, like you always say. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, listening to intuition. I think a and, lot of what we do is based on a sense or intuition sometimes um like working with a client they may be saying one thing but our sense or you know our gut feel we've got all the neurons firing off in our gut going like something's not adding up or so i think i mean personally it can help us but i think when we're talking with people it's also taking in other senses right yeah well and then that's and then when you add intuition with experience yeah powerful. You know, i did a I had a consultation. The guy runs a big hypnosis clinic, sent me a guy because it was addictions. And two minutes into the call, I go, excuse my language, this is a fucking waste of time. You know. You said it to hit to the client? No, to myself, because oh. I'm like, I could be wrong. So I kept going. But when okay. I laid down, okay, I need you to do this, this, and this. Oh, okay, I'll get back to you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, so it was like, hmm. but I said, you know, I, you know, but I, yeah, we'll do an exercise before we're done today. But uh, yeah. You know, I think too, the way society looks at this natural gift, so many cultures look at it as uh, black magic or, or being, you know, of a, of an evil nature if you have this gift, many of us grow up, uh, not necessarily in my background, uh, but but if you grow up with the gift and, and you have these experiences and you're of a culture where they look down upon it or fear it, then you learn to repress it. 
And um, in my own case, as a child, I had so many experiences where I was, um, you know, having these extrasensory, for lack of a better term, um, experiences and not knowing what to do with them. And my, I come from a family of scientists, so there was no way that it was um, deemed as as real or or, or could be that could be any truth to it. So, so you learn to repress it. And when you're working with a client, I think often, you know, repression is such a big part of what they've been dealing with, getting them to accept what's natural, what's normal, what we all have the capability to do if you want to translate across um, is probably the biggest obstacle, getting them to be at ease with the fact that they have this capability to overcome, uh, to, to uh, change mindsets, to grow, because they've been told no all their lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Okay. Well, we'll ask Mr. Albert. Um, we could tie this into something he's an expert in, which is they talk to actors about, you know, learn the skill, you know, they learn the skill of acting and all that. But then there comes a point They'll talk about go with your gut. Just right. go with your gut. You know, the brilliant moments happen on stage and screen when you just go with your gut. Yeah. Right? I, I'll oh, tell my story and then we'll have Albert tell his. One is they were talking about how uh, in Silence of the Lambs, right? Uh, in the opening scene where we meet Hannibal Lecter for the first time, uh, and if you read the book, he's pacing in his cage like a caged tiger. Mm -hmm. Right. When you see the movie, he's standing still. He doesn't move. He doesn't blink. You know, and they said right before they hit action, and I think it was Demi was the director. He goes, he just, uh, um, um, Anthony Hopkins goes, I just had this idea. Rather than be like a caged tiger, I'll be like a snake. So he didn't move. Right. And that's scary as shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah plus he's a little guy which you know and actually in the book he's a big guy uh so it made it much more and he goes i just decided to go with it because you know they didn't like it we we'll just redo it but it was uh it was the that intuition so mr albert share with us your ideas and thoughts about intuition well, and psychics it's interesting because i come from you know the academic world well i'm recovering i call myself a recovering academic because a lot of um that would have been dismissed really really fast um anything of psychic or in, intuition would be kind of would kind of be thrown away right away i mean the only thing coming close to it in my studies was like studying carl rogers and humanistic thought which went big on trusting your your inner guide in a sense um, which is the same as intuition, in my opinion. Um, just another word of that. Um, but I've always, you know, and I've, and I've had this conflict growing up because I've always felt um, that I myself was very intuitive. Like I knew stuff 
not necessarily, I wouldn't say I was psychic, but I knew I would have feelings that things would go wrong and they would, or something would go right. They would go right. Um, so I always believed I had, um, an, an inner sense an intuition. Um, you know, and, and I still, to this day, I mean, I, um, you know, one quick, uh, thing about psychics i about 20 years ago i was dating someone at the time who she, she said let's go to a psychic let's go get a psychic reading and i was like okay you know as you know the guy we'll, we'll go along um i went in and uh this time i was in grad school for marriage and family therapy i had no background in anything and i asked her you know in anything in this business i'm in now in the entertainment so i asked her um, where do you see myself working in like 10, 20 years? She goes, you're going to work in show business. And I literally almost wanted to ask for my money back right then. Cause I'm like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no interest in show business at the time. I was, you know, expecting her to say I was going to be a psychologist or I was going to be this, um, you know, therapist for my own practice. And, you know, and she was like, hell bent. I said, are you sure? She goes, yeah, you're going to be working with, with, uh, you know, celebrities and actors in your career. And I dismissed that, that she was like a fraud and, and I walked out. Um, so it really made, made it interesting, you know, that when I, after I started my business, I was just happened to that memory just popped back and the hair on my neck stood up. <laughs> well, Albert. Yes. Forgive the interruption, but this is too fascinating not to ask the question, but if you were that, that sure that you were not going to go that direction how in the heck did you end up there well that's a whole nother talk in itself because <laughs> uh, it so happened that um one summer i was watching um i you know when i was when i was in school and at the time i had you know no, no life really during the summer so i became addicted to talk shows and i was watching daytime talk shows and you know, one of the shows that I used to watch was Sally Jesse Raphael. I don't know if anybody remembers her. Oh, I loved that show. <laughs> yes. So there was one therapist who, who was always on, uh, and she really fascinated me. And I went to her website, the therapist's website at the time, and I emailed her. I said, um, you know, I'm really fascinated by, by your work, and you know, and I'd really love to come in and, um, you know, I'd work with you at some point. And I told her I was in grad school. But a month later, she emails me back, which blew me away because she was like a celebrity therapist on the show. Um, she said, I'm looking for an internship. An oh, intern. wow. Okay. Um, and then I, so I did the internship with her. And then not, this is right around the time of 9-11. When 9-11 happened, she's like, I need, I need your help in doing a project. We're setting a nonprofit. I need your help. By the way, we're going to be stationed with a lot of actors, you know, at the time. So mm. I started working with actors, you know, doing a little bit of counseling, a little bit of therapy. And then a lot of people said, you know, the actors like you really belong with us in the business. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So fascinating. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm a very big now kind of a believer in psychic, you know, a little bit because I've had proof. Um, but it is, it is kind of balanced because I don't, there's still part of me that's always going to be that scientist where yeah. it's like, okay, let me see empirical evidence. I'm not going to go. I don't know if I believe every claim, but you know, that I hear, but I'm definitely, 
it'd be interesting to kind of like do empirical studies um, on, you know, this stuff like hypnosis and NLP for psychic development. Um, so I've always been interested in, in kind of like bridging the two together, um, you know, including, you know, like doing like what past life work and all that stuff, but try to put some empirical evidence behind is not necessarily that do we have past lives but does this stuff really improve people's lives the processes at least so yeah sure so that's you know that's pretty much where i'm coming from on this issue cool but what do you and what do you think about though like how um you have to help retrain actors to get in touch with their with their gut yeah, that's a challenge because, like, especially in, like working at your studio, that's a lot of times that's really it is. Is just one of the fundamental principles is really get into your gut and be your own self in this role. You know, because a lot of times actors put on layers and think that okay, I really have to pretend to be somebody else. And you know, playing a character is you know definitely you are stepping into somebody else's world, but you're still bringing in your own world. And you know, same thing with you know, you just talked about Anthony Hopkins, you know, um, really, you know, Hannibal Lecter was really just Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter. That's why it so, worked so well for him because he really was kind of like himself to a, to an element playing that role. Uh, he brought his own, you know, went through his own gut and really just, you know, really internalized the character. And that's why, you know, people who really watched the, this show, this movie, really found Anthony Hopkins to be creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because really technically the mannerisms, you know, like Anthony, a lot of these, these really well known actors, you know, they're playing like, yeah, they're, they're reading a different script or different, dialogue, but their mannerisms are pretty much themselves, you know, really being themselves. And that's why they make it look so easy. Because that's why acting, in a sense, on one hand is easy, but it's hard at the same time. So preach, yeah, mother, preach. Yeah, no, you have you you have <laughs> to kind of like on one hand to go into your inner world, um, you know, really add layers to the hair, but at the same time, don't forget who you are. Um, and that's why, like, part of method acting training is like, let's say you're going into, a, well, you have to play a southern accent. So one of the ways to, to train yourself to do that is the entire day before the audition, per, speak to everybody in the Southern accent, in a sense. Go order, when you go get coffee, for example, talk to, you know, when you're ordering coffee, use that accent that you have to do for that role. Right. So that it just becomes natural now to you. Cool. Yeah. Cool. You know, it's and it's kind of fun too. You almost get to explore, like in a parallel universe, who would I be if, you know, I came from this region or if I have this accent, how would my life change? Yeah. Cool. It, uh, yeah. Cool. Great exercise in creativity. Yeah. What about you, Miss Pam? Um, I am a big believer in following your in your gut instinct, you know, in your intuition. I've had just so many instances where it's kind of panned out. Um, for instance, um, during my Reiki two uh, training, uh, we were doing 
um, um, having one of the other classmates in, a, in another room, and we were supposed to see what we picked up on with them. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, two, two feet in front of my face, I see a picture. The picture comes closer and closer to me, and I see this woman's chest. And I see a picture of her left breast, and I see um, big black stitches across the bottom of her her left breast and uh it kind of unnerved me but i knew in every every ounce of my being that this woman had breast cancer and i did not want it we, we would go back into the room you know one by one and you know share what we what we saw and i i did not want to share you know that I saw that she had breast cancer. But anyway, uh, when I shared that with the uh, instructor, she said, well, just say to her, you know, uh, I see something with your left breast. Does that mean anything to you? And sure enough, that's what I did. And the woman turned white and she said, yes, I had breast cancer in my left breast. They removed, the, you know, part of the, the lower part of my left breast. And, uh, and, um, she, she said at the six o'clock position, which is exactly where I saw it. Um, I've had like many instances like that. Um, I, my cat was uh, at the time was very ill and I took it to the vet and a number, you know, he did all these tests, cost me hundreds of dollars and they couldn't find, they wanted to finally, they told me he had feline uh, AIDS and they, they didn't know what to do. Finally, they said, uh, we're gonna have to do exploratory surgery. Well, uh, you were talking about uh, remote viewing and you were talking about um, um, taking your consciousness in. Well, I, I did a body scan of the cat and what I saw was uh, his two kidneys were lighting up like red neon lights, you know, like the old signs in the stores where they had the flashing red neon lights. So I saw the two kidneys and they were red flashing lights and I went back to the vet and I said, you know, could you please check out the kidneys? And sure enough, it was his kidneys. Um, another time on the surface, um, my I was in a relationship and the person was telling me one thing and um, I knew in my gut, you were talking the on Saturday's call, Will, about the three brains and you were so right. You know, we have the brain and the, the, the skull, the brain and the heart, and the brain and the stomach, which is loaded with neurons. And we actually produce almost as much serotonin in the gut as we do in the brain. But anyway, I do believe that we do get a lot of information in the gut. Well, um, with that relationship, um, on, the, on the surface, everything was great. And he's telling me everything was great and wonderful. But later on that night, uh, I was supposed to be seeing him. And um, I got, right after I saw him, I got this feeling almost in my gut like I was being punched in the stomach. And I do get a lot of the intuitions in my stomach, it's physically in the stomach. So, and I didn't know why. I got the punch in the stomach feeling and then I felt this feeling of gloom and doom. And I, I didn't, again, on, the conscious, on a conscious level, there was no reason for it. Everything was great, but it so happened. That was the last time that I saw him. <laughs> he, never, he never showed up that night and it was the last time I saw him, but I felt the punch in the gut and I felt this feeling of gloom and doom. And I was picking up that this was, this is what was about to happen. And um, one other time to share another experience, because um, you were talking about downloading, there's times when I've projected my, my um, consciousness in, such as with 
with the cat and when I did a body scan and, and picked up that information by going inward, scanning the body. There's other times where it was like the download, what you were saying um, about the download. There was another time, again, on the surface, on a conscious level, things were really good. But I was feeling a lot of pain in this particular situation. And I didn't understand why, because there was that incongruity that everything was fine. But at the same time, I just felt pain and I felt like it was not right. And I put it out to the universe. Uh, I said, please show me with my own two eyes. I have to see <laughs> what's going on and why this is why the situation is not right. And little, little did I know later that night. Um, I was being guided, and this is this was really kind of spooky because a voice told me, "You need to go here, and you need to do this." And I've since learned that I just don't ignore I don't ignore the voices, I don't ignore the intuitions. Um, I I learned to act on them. So it, in this particular situation, it was an audible. It was a, a voice that guided me: "Go here, do this." And of course, that was the answer I needed to see to extricate myself from a situation that was not good for me. I uh, literally did follow the voice and it guided me about 45 minute drive away from where I was. And um, it literally, I did not want to go. It was late at night and it was a thunderstorm pouring rain outside. And I really didn't want to do that. And I was really saying to the voice, no. I'll do this tomorrow. And actually, when I refused to do it, the voice got louder and louder, demanded me, no, do this now. And um, when I did, that was the answer to my, you know, to my question. And um, I uh, was able to extricate myself from a situation that was not going to be good for me. Had I not listened to the voice and done that, I would have never have gotten my answer because it was something I had to see in that moment. And when I look back, it was the same day that I put it out to the universe in the morning. Um, please show me with my own two eyes. <laughs> Let me see what's going on. So I've had the the guidance. That was an audible, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, visual, kinesthetic, auditory. Um, for me, I've gotten them with, with the situation with the woman and, and with my cat. With, that was visual. I could literally see it. With, the, with this other situation, it was auditory. I was actually being guided by a, a, a voice. I don't know if it was a guide. I don't know if it's an angel. I don't know what, but it was an answer to you know, my question that I put out there, and that was a, a, an auditory guidance. And in the other situation, it was kinesthetic. The, the feeling of being punched in the gut and and knowing that that this was not right and that and so I really have had a number of situations where I do you know where I've experienced um, getting answers and seeing things um, by listening by listening to that internal cues cool yeah all right well the other thing uh, I was told by I forget who I think it was a lady she's since passed away she's big at the guild and I met her in 90 and I don't know somehow we were talking about something and uh, uh, long story short somebody asked her about because the you know about the uh, presidential election that was going to start soon I think maybe it was 91 and she goes, I don't know, you know, it's going to be, somebody asked about the president, and this was when Bush was running, right, the first Bush, uh, 
Anyway, she goes, nope, it's going to be some Southern guy with a, oh. with a, with a hick name. And, and everybody made fun of it, right? And, and she was not political, you know? So it was, that one kind of impressed me. But she used to tell people, because I was at one of her trainings and at the Guild, where she's talking about it, she goes, well, when you go against your intuition, because a lot of us will, then the first thing you have to do is don't beat yourself up but apologize to your intuition for not following through, mm -hmm. right? That wasn't too long after that. I was driving, I was supposed to get on the highway and the, there was two ways I could go. The, the toll road, which cost a few bucks or the free one. I thought it's one in the afternoon. Nobody's going to be on the highway, yada, yada, yada. I get stuck behind in the middle of a, of a uh, uh, gas tanker wreck. So the whole highway shut down for six hours. Oh. And you couldn't get off. You couldn't get on. There was, they, you were just screwed, right? People were pissing on the side of the road. It was like horrible, right? And uh, so, yeah, so that was the first time I had to remember to thank that intuition. I kept saying, no, you want to take the, you know, don't be a cheap son of a bitch. Take the, take the toll road. It's only three bucks. And uh, rather than get stuck six hours on the, uh, on I-94. So anyway, Cool. I thought that was good. I thought we had fun. Yeah. Thank you. So many good stories. Yeah. And, I'd uh, like to learn more about it because I really, you know, since the abuse of marriage, it's a lot. It's very new to me. I mean, I have told this story many times that when I went to my excellent, very good uh, abuse recovery specialist and therapist I was sobbing crying I was you know sort of hysterical and she's like okay okay we're gonna we're gonna do something tapping have you heard of tapping I'm like no and and she's like okay just do what I do and so I was doing what she did and she was saying stuff and she told me to say stuff and I could keep my eyes open or closed her eyes were closed so I closed my eyes and so I was doing everything that she said to do and I stopped crying and I was like, what in the world is she doing? What is she doing? And then we ended and I was like peeking and she kept doing this, you know, and I opened my eyes when she said, you know, okay, and open your eyes. And she goes, and how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, well, fine. She goes, do you have questions? I'm like, yes, yes. What just happened? Are you a witch? Is this a witchcraft thing? What just happened? I mean, I was so scared because I had never, I didn't know what tapping was. And, and she laughed and she went, no, but, you know, because she was a very open-minded therapist, a very open in a psychological facility. And, but I thought, oh my God, she's making witchcraft on me. <laughs> I didn't know. You know, it's like one of those, like Dr. Will says, you don't know what you don't know. And so I learned, you know, going on from there, I learned about EFT and how it helps break your state and put you in a better place. But I would really appreciate learning so much more about this because while I always thought I was intuitive, I realized I wasn't. You know, I'm Italian, so I must be intuitive. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like, yeah, and I think we're, most of us are trained not to listen to it, mm -hmm. you know. It's there. And then we'll, and then when we do listen to it, we justify. We'll go back That's and find it. the evidence, right, rather than just, you know, 
Mm -hmm. Just do whatever it is. All right, everyone. Cool. Thank you. All right. Great. Yeah, maybe we'll do more on this. And then yeah, I put a please. thing in the chat. Yeah, this chat, this is something from the CIA. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, cool. Just, so copy that. There's a bunch of stuff that they've declassified that what they did. You know? Okay. Especially in the height of the Cold War. They were studying everything, man. They were studying everything. You oh. know. They say they've stopped. I don't know if they have, you know. You know. I don't know if they have. But they've learned a lot learning this. I mean, I, I still think we're in the midst of the biggest psychological misinformation campaign in the history of the world. And it's working. <laughs> God is. Absolutely. Yeah, Please like, give us a class. Yes. It's like, so the, uh, I was defaulted. So this, this virus is so smart. The players on the field don't have to wear a mask, but the coaches do. <laughs> so it knows the difference between a player and a coach that's a smart virus <laughs> yeah no, and then really, if nothing yeah. and they pointed out like from the nfl not the nba because they were in a bubble the nfl these guys aren't in a bubble and actually it's it's turning out quite well they're getting a few and it's also, and that's where I think it's waking people up because it's going like, so you, you hear, oh, this guy got put on the proto, the COVID-19 protocol, but he never gets sick, you know? And then he's back playing five days later. You're like, so what's good? People, it's it's kind of interesting. It, it will be interesting, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then not to sound conspiracy theory, but kind of like uh, one time I would say like Trump got something right. He's like, well, you know, they're going to have this vaccine by the end of the year, you know, and it's yeah. like, hmm, interesting, you know, <laughs> you know, good luck with that. I ain't taking that damn thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there, Will. I'm not either. No Too way in hell. Trick. But so unfortunately, my, they want to make it mandatory. A lot of places want to make it mandatory. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I, my body. Well, That's yeah, right. you know, and all this It'll be interesting to see, because then if you say you don't want to take it, then they yell at you and that, that, you know, and then say, well, they could just make it like if you want to get on an airplane, you got to show your vaccine card. Well, then for that to work, every airline would have to agree. Yeah. And the airline doesn't want to turn people away. Especially and then right there's now. HIPAA and OSHA. Yeah. And then, you know, so it'll be, and, you know, those of us that studied statistics, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't take it after a 10 year longitudinal study. Right. You know, right. but yeah, yeah. I still think, let me turn off the recording or hit pause.